the U.S. economy is on a collision course with incomes. I mentioned in yesterday's video how GDP for the third quarter, that massive 5% number, that was likely the last hurrah for the disinflationary boomlet. And the statistics the Bureau of Economic Analysis put out today on personal spending and incomes, most of all, shows exactly what I mean. There was a, uh, the most telling statistic was the personal savings rate. For the month of September, the savings rate tumbled back all the way to 3.4%. That was from 4.0% in August. And it was the lowest since last December, which shows not just that savings are low or maybe too low, but that incomes are the biggest problem to the U.S. economy. Not spending. Spending follows incomes. And it's important to remember that the markets have been telling us that we should expect something like this to happen because the two-year treasury, more than any other part of the yield curve, has given us these signals ever since around July. Something changed in the two-year treasury trajectory that made it go from disinflation agreement to, uh-oh, things are going wrong. When you look at the chart on the U.S. Treasury, the two-year Treasury in particular, remember the two-year the two Treasury, that one's supposed to be the one that is most highly influenced by the Federal Reserve, higher for longer, inflation expectations, what Jay Powell says and what he might do, all of that stuff. And for a little while there, in between the early part of May and the early part of July, the two-year Treasury was all over disinflation. Remember how in the in the wake of the banking crisis, the first part of the banking crisis, everybody was hedging like crazy and the two-year rate fell precipitously in March and it stayed low through April and May. But then in, in the early part of May into June and then July, the two-year treasury was disinflation, unwinding some of that, that bank crisis urgency hedging, but really getting getting the signals and the sense of the disinflationary wave that was hitting the global economy, the temporary boost to consumer spending, business spending a little bit, but most of all, sentiment. But that disinflationary trend, which which spiked the two-year treasury yield far more than it did the long end of the curve, but that disinflationary trend that changed on July 6th. In fact, July 6th was the day the two-year treasury yield hit 4.99%. So right around that 5% level that we've been talking about for pretty much every day or every week since that time. Since July 6th, that's when there was an inflection in the two-year treasury rate. It had been rising rather rapidly. And then since July 6th, that change in trajectory. Rates have been up after initial hiccup in July, so rates were still going up throughout the summer, but at a much reduced rate until September, September 20th and 21st. Ever since then, the two-year treasury, and not just the treasury, also markets around the world, the German bunds, the, the shots in uh, Germany, that one too. Since September 20th, that the two years has has experienced a yet another inflection point. Now, no longer is it rising. The two-year rate is now flat to modestly lower. Again, sticking around that 5% level. In fact, today, as I'm speaking, the two years is right back to 5.04. So what is it that the two-year is telling us? Well, the two-year was telling us initially, again, disinflationary trends, some other things, some factors tied to the banking crisis and uh, unwinding some of the hedges there. But the 
post-July inflection, this change in trajectory for rates, and you can see the, 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 the chart just continues to roll right over. What that tells us in, in, from July forward is a couple of things, um, OPEC and oil prices. There's some collateral issues as we talked about, especially recently. But in terms of general macro considerations, the two-year was talking about the U.S. economy's collision with incomes. What we're seeing now in the personal savings rate, what we've already been seeing for months in terms of personal incomes and how that is going to, not likely to, that is going to impact spending moving forward if it hasn't already in October. So the two-year was picking up on the disinflationary boomlet as far back as July telling us it was going to run out at some point. And the Bureau of Economic Analysis statistics on personal income, especially as well as spending and savings, they tell us exactly why. To understand what the savings rate is saying, we need to go back and review how we got here. How did the savings rate not just get to 3.4%, but if, if you look at the chart, the savings rate fell really low in 2022, then rebounded into the middle part of 2023, and now it's gone lower again. What was that all about? The savings rate, of course, that's about personal income on the one side and personal spending on the other side. The savings is basically the difference between the two. And when you listen to mainstream commentary or the Federal Reserve talk about it, they never really talk much about incomes. They simply mention the labor market. And we're supposed to infer from their words on the labor market that incomes must be relatively robust. I'll give you an example. In the meeting minutes, minutes for the September FOMC meeting, this is what it said first before giving us the warning that we're actually seeing in the data. In their discussion of the household sector, participants observed that aggregate consumer spending had continued to exhibit considerable strength supported by the strong labor market and by generally strong household balance sheets. But then they gave us the warning. However, many participants remarked that the finances of some households were coming under pressure amid high inflation and declining savings, and that there had been an increasing reliance on credit to finance expenditures. In addition, tighter credit conditions, waning fiscal support for families, a resumption of student loan payments, those were all viewed by several participants as having the potential to weigh on the growth of consumption. So we've got all of these things to worry about, including declining savings, but on the other side of it, according to the Fed, a strong, robust labor market. And why is it strong and robust? Mostly because of the unemployment rate, rather than looking, at, looking directly at the income statistics. Because when you do that, that's where you see the warning, real, the, the warning of the collision in the economy. That's where it really stands out. But as I said, we need to go back and, and review how we got to this particular position. And of course, it all started like everything else of the last several years during the Uncle Sam intervention stipend payments of 2021. We got through the rest of 2021 getting past Uncle Sam's generosity. What you see from nominal disposable personal income is that incomes had actually flattened out. So while the, the U.S. consumer and many businesses were riding the wave of Uncle Sam's generosity and continued inflows, uh, continue high levels of savings, the actual underlying income had slowed way down. In fact, it was relatively flat late 2021 toward the early part of 2022. 
Now, American spending was relatively stable because Americans were working through their savings. And so what you see is that a huge savings rate as, again, government money went flowing into uh, personal banking accounts. And then most Americans, sat, some Americans spent them, but most Americans use them slowly over time to maintain their level of spending regardless of income. But those two factors started to started to realign in 2022 as the effect of those stipends, government, government transfers began to really wane. And when those two factors started to come together, that's when the personal savings rate started to drop down into incredibly low levels. It got down as low as I believe 2.7% in the latest figures. It's been revised back and forth along the way, but under 3% by the middle of 2022. And that seems to be the part where consumers, they, they don't want to go any lower. They want to go through any more of their savings. But fortunately for them, a couple things happened at that point. One, incomes began to stabilize. So nominal disposable in, personal income that had been flat to lower 2021 into 2022, that began to rise at a relatively stable pace. So that helped out a little bit. But worked, what worked against consumers and the overall economy was that prices had become, prices had surged enormously, especially with oil March, April, May, and June of 2022, which meant that even though nominal incomes had stabilized, American incomes as well as American spending and around the rest of the world too, you were, you're getting paid a little bit more, but it cost a lot more for necessities, for budgets, for spending, for everything else. So we, the American consumer was falling further and further behind in 2022, even though income stabilized. The second half of 2022, however, that's when disinflation showed up and with a relatively stable track in nominal disposable incomes or nominal incomes overall, it allowed consumers a little bit a little bit more room to continue to spend as they had before. You see this in the real figures too, where real disposable personal income actually started to rebound in the second half of last year as nominal incomes were relatively stable. But even that wasn't enough to maintain the economy. We got into the situation where we're talking about recession at the end of last year, largely because incomes just weren't, weren't being generated enough of a rate. Disinflation wasn't helping out enough until January of 2023. And you see it on all of these charts. You see it in GDP. You see it in the monthly spending numbers. In particular, January was the month where once again, Uncle Sam sort of came to the economy's rescue. So we had the disinflationary ingredients put together beforehand, disinflation and prices, which allowed spending to stabilize a little bit, still the concern over recession. But then in January, a huge increase in disposable personal income. In nominal terms, it was 2.6% just in January alone. And where did this come from? It wasn't necessarily the private marketplace, though some of it was wages and salaries, but it was wages and salaries that were imposed on, on, on private businesses in the form of minimum wage increases. And a huge chunk of that January increase in income was from Social Security. The increase in Social Security in January of 2023 was 8.7%. An 8.7% cost of living adjustment that went right into nominal incomes that a lot of Americans immediately spent. So 
you had disinflation in prices, suddenly a, a, an artificial increase in incomes, mostly artificial increase in incomes in January, and suddenly we got the basis for the middle 2023 disinflationary boomlet. You have lower prices, higher incomes, higher, higher uh, government transfers, all of that stuff. But it wasn't going to last because at the same time, despite the Federal Reserve's assurances that the labor market was strong and robust and maintaining itself, trouble was brewing in incomes. Incomes were already starting to slow down because the labor market had slowed down a lot more than you would guess from the rhetoric out of the Federal Reserve or the mainstream media for that matter. So while savings got to rebound with incomes in the early part of this year, as nominal incomes in the labor market began to slow down materially, nominal incomes actually slowed down quite a lot. As a result, Americans continued to spend at basically the same rate as they had before. The, the chart on um, pers uh, nominal personal consumption expenditures throughout this entire two-year, two-plus-year period, nominal PE has been relatively stable. It's a little bit of a downtick in uh, toward the end of last year and the start of this year, but it hasn't been as much as you would expect for an economy as weak as it actually is according to incomes. Again, that's the impact from government-introduced savings. Right around May into June and especially July and the summertime, that's when you see the impact of the dramatic slowing down in the labor market. You see that in nominal personal income, nominal disposable personal income especially. Just going by the numbers, you see a nominal disposable personal income in the month of June We'd gone from you know around half a percent per month in May and uh, in April and May, but then in June just 0.13 percent. In July it was actually negative by just a fractional amount, but still negative. This is nominal incomes across the entire economy. August uh, re rebounded a little bit, but just 0.26 percent. And then the latest figure for September again just 0.28 percent. So even the last two months of August and September, that's about half the rate up to around April and May. So summertime nominal income slowed way down and you can see it in the three month change. The three month change for nominal DPI was just 1.6%. That's down around what we were seeing in the middle part of 2019. The last time we were talking about weak labor markets, recession and the Federal Reserve's rate cuts. So nominal incomes were slowing down because the labor market was slowing down and the labor market was slowing down because the economy as a whole was slowing down a lot more than anyone was willing to admit. And these ingredients for the disinflationary boomlet masked these deficiencies that were underneath all the time. And it took a few more months for it to come out, especially in the uh, from the shadow of the banking crisis and the credit crunch that's developing. But now across the summertime into the autumn, we begin to see more and more we're on a collision course with incomes. And incomes are a reflection of the overall economic situation in the labor market, which tells us that there is a serious slowdown that's not just one month or two months. We're now several months into it. And so it's only a matter of time before spending has to catch down to incomes. And that's where the savings rate comes back into it. 
at 3.4%, what that's telling us is that that moment when consumers are going to react to their low, they can see that nominal incomes are slowing down. They can see that the labor market isn't what as robust as the FOMC would like you to believe. They can tell that at the margins, paychecks, job growth, hours, all of that stuff, they're not growing, they're not behaving, they're not performing in the same way that they did during the disinflationary boom period or even before then. Really, we can see the weakness coming through incomes. You really see this effect when you put it in real terms. Real disposable personal income, for example, that one has been down, down, negative, four straight months through September. Because nominal incomes are slowing, because the labor market is slowing down that much, and because prices aren't slowing as fast as they had been previously, thanks to our friends in Saudi Arabia, what happens to real incomes? They're now contracting again. So the collision course in the economy, slowing labor market, slowing nominal incomes, real incomes falling further behind, eventually Americans have to slow down spending. And when they slow down in their spending, if they haven't already, as we've seen in a number of potential indications, forward-looking indications, that's going to lead to businesses who up until now have been patiently waiting for a real recovery for the economy to get past the shallow downturn, those businesses are going to start cutting their costs too. Because as consumers are, are getting less nominal income, it's because businesses are paying out less nominal income. Where do you think the slowdown in the labor market is coming from? Without an actual increase in macroeconomic circumstances, instead we look at around the world, it looks weaker and weaker still, businesses are going to get to that point where they cut back even more, the labor market slows down further, nominal incomes maybe even contract a little more, spendings days are numbers. So GDP, the third quarter, GDP was a last hurrah before the collision course with incomes. If you ever wondered what a euro dollar is and why it's so important, check out the video link below me. I just did one recently talking all about what the euro dollar system is and where it came from. And if you know someone who might benefit from understanding the same thing, money and macro and all of these fundamentals, share the video with them. As always, thank you for joining me. Until next time, take care.